...looking by the way they blushed and looked desperate if an adult came upon them suddenly. And then the door would snap open, the light would fall on the disorder, and she would be standing there. Aunt Claudia was very tall and thin. Her nose was too big, and she was tanned to a permanent old leather color. She would stand there immobile and terrible, and the children would creep back into bed without a sound. She would not move until everyone was back where he or she belonged, then she would close the door soundlessly. The silence would drag on and on. The ones nearest to the door would hold their breath, trying to hear breathing on the other side. Eventually someone would become brave enough to open the door a crack, and if she were truly gone, the party would resume. The smells of holidays were fixed in David's memory. All the usual smells, fruitcakes and turkeys, the vinegar that went in the egg dyes, the greenery and the thick creamy smoke of bayberry candles. But what he remembered most vividly was the smell of gunpowder that they all carried at the Fourth of July gathering. The smell that permeated their hair and clothes lasted on their hands for days and days. Their hands would be stained purple-black by berry-picking, and the color and smell were one of the indelible images of his childhood. Mixed in with it was the smell of the sulfur that was dusted on them liberally to confound the chiggers. If it hadn't been for Celia, his childhood would have been perfect. Celia was his cousin, his mother's sister's daughter. She was one year younger than David, and by far the prettiest of all his cousins. When they were very young, they promised to marry one day, and when they grew older and it was made abundantly clear that no cousins might ever marry in that family, they became implacable enemies. He didn't know how they had been told. He was certain that no one ever put it in words, but they knew. When they could not avoid each other after that, they fought. She pushed him out of the hayloft and broke his arm when he was fifteen. And when he was sixteen, they wrestled from the back door of the Whiston farmhouse to the fence, fifty or sixty yards away. They tore the clothes off each other, and he was bleeding from her fingernails down his back, she from scraping her shoulder on a rock. Then somehow in their rolling and squirming frenzy, his cheek came down on her uncovered chest, and he stopped fighting. He suddenly became a melting, sobbing, incoherent idiot, and she hit him on the head with a rock and ended the fight. Up to that point, the battle had been in almost total silence, broken only by gasps for breath and whispered language that would have shocked their parents. But when she hit him and he went limp, not unconscious but dazed, uncaring, inert, she screamed, abandoning herself to terror and anguish. The family tumbled from the house as if they had been shaken out, and their first impression must have been that he had raped her. His father hustled him to the barn, presumably for a thrashing. But in the barn his father, belt in hand, looked at him with an expression that was furious and strangely sympathetic. He didn't touch David, and only after he had turned and left did David realize that tears were still running down his face. In the family there were farmers, a few lawyers, two doctors, insurance brokers and bankers, and millers, hardware merchandisers, other shopkeepers. David's father owned a large department store that catered to the upper-middle-class clientele of the valley. The valley was rich, the farms in it large and lush. 
David always supposed that the family, except for a few ne'er-do-wells, was rather wealthy. Of all his relatives, his favorite was his father's brother, Walt. Dr. Walt, they all called him, never uncle. He played with the children and taught them grown-up things, like where to hit if you really meant it, where not to hit in a friendly scrap. He seemed to know when to stop treating them as children long before anyone else in the family did. Dr. Wald was the reason David had decided very early to become a scientist. David was 17 when he went to Harvard. His birthday was in September, and he didn't go home for it. When he did return at Thanksgiving and the clan had gathered, Grandfather Sumner poured the ritual before dinner martinis and handed one to him. And Uncle Warner said to him, What do you think we should do about Bobby? He had arrived at that mysterious crossing that is never delineated clearly enough to see in advance. He sipped his martini.